0: Trevor Deely was an extremely jovial, neighborly, and technically gifted young man. His interest in computers and talents for mathematics were cut short by an unexplainable, untraceable vanishing in December of 2000, leaving all who knew him, both in life and through the world wide web, grasping for answers in a sea of evidence that drowned us all in doubt. As a hope to provide more substantial reasoning built upon visible evidence and situational analysis, This is an examination of the disappearance of Trevor Dean and the relation to nearby shadowy figures. This is Cold Case Detective. Trevor Dealey was born on August 15, 15th, 1978, in Nace, County Kildare of Ireland, to parents Michael and Anne Dealey. He was the youngest of four children who learned under the close tutelage of brother Mark and sisters Michelle and Pamela. His soft-spoken yet infectious childhood demeanor made him a likable kid, and even as a teenager, Trevor developed an even-tempered personality, getting along with basically anyone and everyone His older siblings were all athletic in school, participating in sports and competitions. Trevor was the odd man out, however, and instead flourished as an athlete of the mind, finding a love for arithmetic and sciences. These interests in numbers and tech, combined with problem-solving tendencies, inspired Trevor to tinker with computers and audio-visual systems. It developed into a hobby for Trevor, but never seemed like a viable career choice. He was confused about where to focus his studies after graduating high school, testing out the waters of business and economics at Waterford Institute of Technology. During this period, he worked part-time at the local supermarket, but never felt truly comfortable and dropped out after the first semester. Remembering that Trevor had a gift for troubleshooting, his sister Michelle recommended a series of computer lessons in Dublin Trevor obliged and quickly discovered his calling in life. Michelle was quoted in the Irish Times saying about her brother's newfound talents, he took it like a duck to water, like turning a key in a lock. Trevor loved the coursework and soon devoted all of his energy to computers. When he finished the schooling, he was immediately offered three separate job opportunities. Seeking professional advice, Trevor turned to his dad, who was also quoted in the Irish Times, I said, take the bank. Banks are safer than any of the others. This would turn out to be quite an unsettling foreshadow for the upcoming tragedy. Seven months before the turn of the millennium, Trevor took a position at Bank of Ireland Asset Management by Leeson Street Bridge in Dublin. He worked for the IT department in an office with 10 other employees who all raved about his work ethic and enthusiasm. Trevor's manager, Dara Tracy, described him as the perfect employee who was reliable on the job, hungry for knowledge and friendly with everyone at the company. The same was true in his personal life as Trevor became especially close with his elder brother, Mark, and his two lifelong last buddies, Glenn Cullen and Conleith Lunan. In addition, Trevor had met a girl in his last summer in Dublin and traveled up to Anchorage, Alaska to see her only a month before this mystery began. Despite the bevy of cheers and positive relationships in Trevor's life, an unexpected, unforeseen darkness was on the horizon. During the holiday season of December 2000, Trevor's co workers set up a company Christmas party at the Hilton Hotel in Dublin. The night was full of drinking and good vibes until early the next morning. At about 4 am, CCTV footage captured Trevor walking from the Bank of Ireland office towards his apartment in Ballsbridge and this would soon prove to be the last sighting of Trevor Dealey before his inexplainable disappearance. In May of 1999, Trevor Dealey receives three job offers and decides to select an IT position at Bank of Ireland Asset Management on Wilton Terrace at the suggestion of his father. Trevor blends right into the working culture and forms healthy professional relationships with his peers. After the turn of the millennium, sometime in 2000, Trevor starts renting a flat on Serpentine Avenue, Sandymount, Dublin Four in the Renoir complex. Along with him are two other female roommates, Niamh and Sarah. The trio maintain a conflict-free living situation throughout the year. Later that summer, Trevor meets a girl named Karen who is visiting Ireland on a vacation from Anchorage, Alaska. She is only in Dublin for a short while, but Trevor feels a romantic connection. None of Trevor's friends nor family get a chance to meet Karen. On the 7th of October in the same year, Mark Deely attends a GAA football match with Trevor in Castlebar, County Mayo. The brothers spend the day with a few additional friends and Mark mentions it was at this moment that he saw Trevor as more than a sibling, but as a peer too. Mentioning Trevor showed promise in his own life with both work and finances. It's the closest memory in their relationship, but would also prove to be the last. Sometime in the last couple weeks of November, Trevor and close friend Glenn Cullen have a conversation about Karen, the girl Trevor met in summertime. Glenn bets in passing that Trevor wouldn't go visit her in the States, to which Trevor retorts that he will. Nevertheless, he is soon added to Glenn's Aer Lingus Discount Beneficiary List and accesses a free flight from Ireland to Anchorage, Alaska. After stopping in Los Angeles, Trevor arrives in Alaska, where he intends to meet up with Karen. However, this point in the timeline is quite muddied in terms of what actually happened in Anchorage. Trevor's father, Michael, claims Trevor had more than one girl of interest in the States that he had met in Ireland and claims that he found in Trevor's email a correspondence in which Trevor told one of the girls he was free for a few days and would come visit in person. The girl named Janie replied and said she would be busy during the specified dates, yet Trevor persisted and still made the trip. On the flip side, Trevor's brother Mark was confident the vacation wasn't out of the ordinary and was nothing more than a spree of relaxation that included a reconnection with his ex-girlfriend a completely harmless coincidence. On Tuesday, December the 5th, Trevor returns home from Alaska and hitches a bus back to the family home in Nace. His father only sees him in passing as he leaves for a work meeting. Meanwhile, an exhausted Trevor talks about the beautiful ice caps he witnessed. His mother encourages him to come home that weekend to tell them more about his recent trip, but Trevor says he plans to go Christmas shopping so wouldn't be able to. The next day, Wednesday, December 6th, Trevor goes back to work at Bank of Ireland as normal. Sadly, abnormality strikes the very next day. At 4 p.m. on Thursday, December the 7th, Trevor finishes work. According to Michael Dealey, he received a call from Trevor that late afternoon, during which he mentioned his apartment complex electricity was out. This meant Trevor was at his flat sometime after work on the day he disappeared. Later in the early evening hours, Trevor also made a stop to his father's office to pick up prescription contact lenses sent by his brother, who was an optician. However, Michael Dealey was out in meetings during this time. Soon after, Trevor and a few friends hit up the Copperface Jacks nightclub, where Trevor has the last known conversation with his father, Michael. At about 8.45 p.m., Trevor and the crew leave the club and go to nearby Hilton Hotel in Charlemont Place, where the actual company Christmas party is being held. They enjoy a fancy dinner and live music. A couple of hours later, sometime between 10 and 11.30 p.m., Trevor receives another phone call, this time from best friend Glen Cullen. Unfortunately, it's too noisy on Trevor's end for any clear communication. The friends end up playing phone tag the remainder of the night. In the small hours of Friday morning, December the 8th, at about 2 a.m., Trevor and his friends leave the Hilton and arrive at Buck Whaley's on Leeson Street, another popular Dublin nightclub. The post-party festivities last around an hour and a half until 3.35 a.m. Trevor is captured on CCTV footage in front of his office's gate number two at Wilton Terrace. He has a brief conversation with a curious man wearing all black before heading into the office by himself. He thanks the building security guard, Peter, for assisting him. It should be noted that the man wearing dark clothing has been seemingly waiting outside of gate one for about 30 minutes prior to Trevor's arrival. At approximately 3.36 am, Trevor asks his coworker, Carl Pender, if he's available for a quick cup of coffee. Carl says he's busy at the moment and asks Trevor to wait a moment or two. A minute later, at 3.37 am, further CCTV footage displays the same black clothed man standing outside of gate two this time with a second figure positioned next to him and a possible third person covered by shadows behind them. 10 minutes later, at around 3.50 a.m., Trevor finally shares a beverage with Carl. The recreational is short-lived, however, as Trevor is seen exiting the office at 4.03 a.m. through gate two, now holding an umbrella on CCTV video evidence. Two minutes pass before Trevor calls his friend Glenn one final time saying he'll call again later that day. This would be the last official point of contact Trevor makes with anyone specific. At 4.14 am, additional surveillance footage reveals Trevor walking past what was then an AIB bank on Haddington Road in the direction towards his Bulls Bridge apartment. 30 seconds tick by and another passerby enters the frame. A man dressed in black, almost identical to the first shadowy figure from the Bank of Ireland's gateways. Other bystanders, who were in the area at the time, later recall seeing nothing out of the ordinary around. As he walks down the street out of view, it becomes the last known sighting of Trevor Dealey. At 9.30am the same morning, Trevor does not show up for work, no action is taken. On multiple occasions over the weekend days of December the 9th and December the 10th, Trevor's sister Michelle makes several phone calls to Trevor. Each time, ringing but ending up on voicemail. Michelle later remarks that she wasn't worried at the time and was pretty sure his cell phone was active each time. Suspicions finally arise on Monday, December the 11th, when Bank of Ireland informs Trevor's parents of his continued absence from work. Michael and Anne Dealey then tell their older son Mark who immediately feels a strange discomfort in the atmosphere and drives straight to the family home in Nace. Meanwhile, Michael goes to Trevor's apartment but receives no answer either in person or on the phone. Mark continues the investigation efforts and searches both the Copperface Jacks nightclub and the Ballsbridge area. When no traces are found, Mark accompanies the friend Glen Cullen back to Nace and reports Trevor missing to the Nace Garda station a major manhunt breaks out the next day on December the 12th as the Garde searches Trevor's flat and a sub-aqua team combs the nearby Grand Canal. Both efforts draw a blank. The searches continue into January 2001 with flyers handed out to townsfolk and additional bodies of water inspected. Trevor's friend, Conleth Lunan, even pitches in as a CCTV expert and researches partial footage from the night of his disappearance. But still, no evidence is unearthed. Around February or March of 2015, 14 years after the mystery started, the Irish Times released a special three-part series detailing the Trevor Dealey case. Later in 2015, journalist Donald McIntyre creates an associated documentary that withholds a never-before-seen image of CCTV video outside the Bank of Ireland, unreleased by the Guardian. It highlights the second and third man cloaked in darkness that are outside the gate after Trevor enters the building, a fact unknown to the general public until this moment. In December 2016, investigators reignite Trevor's cold case with the newfound CCTV footage and send it off for specialists in the UK to decipher the forensics of Trevor's final moments. Just four months later, in April of 2017, a company in the United Kingdom concurs that the man in black followed Trevor by 30 seconds in the last CCTV shot, it is most likely the man in black outside of his office in the first few shots. These initial images are enhanced and reveal that Trevor did indeed speak to the shadowy figure before entering the Bank of Ireland on that fateful night. Again, giving the public a new clue. This is the last accurate lead uncovered in the Trevor Deely file to date. Like all missing person cases and most criminal investigations in general, the most sought after evidence is potential footage from the locations in which these crimes or mysteries occurred. In the search for Trevor Deely, one of his close friends, Con Leith Lunan, was able to use his video tech expertise and pull partial CCTV footage from both the Bank of Ireland offices and the AIB offices mere days before they were to be destroyed. These tapes captured Trevor's last known moments in the early morning hours of December the 8th after he leaves the Christmas festivities to pick up an umbrella in his office and return home. It should be noted the footage jumps a couple of points, most likely for timekeeping concerns. The first part of the video displays a man dressed in dark clothing who arrives outside of the Bank of Ireland at 3.05 a.m. The footage then jumps to about 3.34 a.m with the man still lingering about before exiting the frame to our left. It then shifts to a different angle, recording Trevor arrive at work at 3.35 a.m. At this moment, what is assumed to be the black clothed man pops back into the shot and talks to Trevor for a moment or two. Trevor then heads inside before the footage jumps again to 4.02 a.m., where we see Trevor walk back onto the street with his umbrella, and the suspicious man nowhere to be seen The final piece of tape then plays at 4.14 a.m. showing a man under an umbrella pass by the AIB building. This is later confirmed as Trevor Dealey by his family. 30 seconds later, a man dressed in black walks in the same direction as Trevor. This figure is thought to be the man from earlier waiting around the two gateways and the man who spoke briefly with Trevor. To this day, he has never come forward to be eliminated from the inquiry and until he does, he is still very much a suspect. Yet the mystery of this man and the CCTV footage in general does not stop there. After the tapes were digitally remastered, documentarian Donald McIntyre released a film in 2015 called Unsolved, in which he revealed screenshots of unreleased footage depicting Trevor and the man in black outside of gate two after Trevor had left. However, a closer inspection in 2017 uncovered that the time code on this new screenshot is actually from the time period in between Trevor entering and exiting Bank of Ireland. Thus, neither this man on our right side and the man standing in the back are Trevor himself. Rather, these are two new separate figures who appear to be looking into the office complex. Knowing this information, the image becomes much more unsettling as these men are hidden behind their dark clothing and shadows. When authorities reopened the case, they were able to track down the men on the right and in the back. These two individuals were cleared as co-workers of Trevor and quickly crossed off the list of suspects. However, why they were there at the offices at the same time that evening, standing in the frame like they were is still unknown, leaving the entire CCTV case point in a shroud of doubt. Trevor Lee's disappearance occurred just over 18 years ago. Yet with almost two full decades of sleuthing, both professionals and amateurs have come up empty-handed, failing to secure hard evidence or expose truth beyond coincidental and circumstantial assumptions. Despite the inconclusiveness of it all, there are a few notions that make sense when peeling back the layers of this case. First and foremost, many followers of the disappearance immediately point to Trevor's unquestionable trip to Alaska less than a week before his disappearance. To make such a long journey a third of the way across the world for a girl he briefly knew makes little sense. Alaska is a nine hour flight that spans nine time zones and offers little tourist value for a basic short-term visit. So if the vacation was truly meant to rekindle a romantic spark, It was quite an extreme gesture, considering Trevor only mentioned the girlfriend aspect of it in passing, mostly to his friends. Glenn Cullen remarked that he had only heard of Trevor's love interest by word of mouth and never saw pictures of her or proof that she existed. The only possible physical identification was seen by Trevor's father through the email chain previously mentioned. However, the woman in the communication was called Janie, not Karen and whether they were the same person or completely separate has not been clarified by investigators. Nor has confirmation that a search was done of the email correspondence discovered by Michael between Trevor and Janie. The general consensus now is that there was no girl and that the stories about meeting college students from Anchorage was a cover up for some other type of business or personal quest. Rural Alaska is a mystery in and of itself and the number of potential activities kept a secret is too vast to go through, but could include any number of operations such as money laundering, drug trafficking, or gang violence. How Trevor could ever be connected to such vices is both unknown and unlikely, but his expertise with computers and mathematics make him a useful person for any of these activities. In Rebottle, there is a little likelihood that Trevor was able to keep such multinational offenses under wraps from everyone and leave behind no traces. While he was proficient with computer systems, he had no history or record associating him with virtual crimes. He was an outgoing, friendly individual and pursuing a woman he liked isn't unusual for a man of his age, especially considering the tickets were free. Mark Dealey said in the Irish Times article that the trip to Anchorage was like any young adult attempting to find paradise, and Alaska was just a colder version of hotspots like Ibiza or Lanzarote. Trevor did seem flattered by the grand surroundings of Alaska ice caps in his short time spent with his mother after he returned, which is probably a genuine emotion rather than a cover for illicit activity. In the end, both the Dealey family and investigators classified the Alaskan trip, a red herring in the case, after both parties interrogated the girl in question and no leads were produced. Another popular hypothesis believes Trevor was killed that morning on the way home to his apartment by a ruthless Kremlin-based criminal, anonymous to everyone but to Garde officials. This theory originated from a tip given to Garde by an informant who claimed that Trevor had run in with a crumbling criminal who was shot and murdered before being dumped in a wooded area in West Dublin. The crumbling criminal had also been investigated for the unsolved murder of Sinead Kelly in June 1996. The criminal in question was never publicly identified due to legal reasons. Investigators said the informant himself had no motive for the crime, but didn't hold any serious weight with the tip despite the fact that the crumbling criminals gang was running a drug and prostitution trade in the surrounding area of Trevor's disappearance at the time he was last seen. Nevertheless, Garde eventually took this information under consideration and dug up a three-acre forest in the Chapelizod area to look for Trevor's remains. The secret crumbling criminal was eventually cleared after the informant's information was proven wrong and no traces of Trevor were found in the excavation. Other theories focus on the black clothed man from CCTV footage offering a flurry of ideas that he could be a modernized version of the Men in Black conspiracy, and was at the offices that night to talk to Trevor about something supernatural he had witnessed, possibly during his time in Alaska. It would explain Trevor's subtle yet repeated fascination with the Alaskan atmosphere, and why the Man in Black followed Trevor home, If the man in black did kidnap Trevor, it might back up the complete lack of physical DNA or evidence left behind. It should be noted that the Dealey family have heavily denounced this line of thought and does not consider it tangible. In more realistic terms, followers of the case have suggested Trevor was kidnapped and murdered by the crumbling gang that morning. But instead of being buried, he was thrown into a body of water Garde officials have combed through countless rivers, ponds and canals around the Dublin area, and again have found no clues related to Trevor. It's also peculiar that Trevor's sister, Michelle, called her brother's cell phone over the course of the weekend, in which Trevor was unknown to be missing, and the cellular emitted a series of rings rather than go straight to voicemail. This hints that the cell phone died before it was potentially destroyed and either Trevor or his kidnapper had access to it for up to 48 hours past 4.15 a.m. on December the 8th, 2000. A case like Trevor with infinite pathways but zero destinations is incredibly difficult to conclude. However, there are just enough holes in the profile to poke through with calculated observations These anomalies combined with the CCTV leads us to believe that Trevor knew something he shouldn't have, was followed by people he shouldn't have known, and he realized it and was eventually taken away against his will. What exactly this information was or who exactly the people it was connected to is impossible to crack, but without a doubt, it probably centered around illegal practices of a criminal nature. It was the type of forbidden knowledge that led to him being hunted down, kidnapped, and murdered. The first big piece of this conclusion is the conflicting information given by Trevor himself. Specifically, the two-faced schedule he gave to both his parents and his friends. After returning from Alaska, he told his parents he wouldn't be coming back home to Nace the following weekend so that he could finish some Christmas shopping. At the time, he made plans with friends Glenn and Conleth to get drinks that weekend at Thomas Fletcher's Pub, a local bar in his hometown. While it could have been an honest mistake or intentional to avoid talking to his parents about Alaska, it kind of feels like Trevor wasn't telling the truth to either party. He might have had his own agenda over the weekend, maybe to take care of the issue at hand and led both his friends and families astray. In fact, his absence at the pub was regarded as a normal occurrence by Glenn and Conleth, as neither felt worried or even bothered to contact Trevor when he never showed up for drinks. In addition, Trevor displayed a few moments of subtle, nervous behavior after his return from Alaska, besides mismanaging the information he gave up about his weekend plans. Trevor's actions the hours before his disappearance strike us as odd. For example, when Trevor walks up to Gate 2 at Bank of Ireland and speaks to the black clothed man, he spends little time engaging with him and enters the building soaking wet, seemingly in a hurry to get home. However, instead of grabbing the umbrella and departing, Trevor asked the night shift employee, Carl Pender, to share a cup of tea. When Carl asked for a few moments to finish his task, Trevor didn't leave. Instead, he logged onto his computer and performed unknown actions, as if waiting for something to happen and pass the time. Then, when Carl was available, the two shared hot beverages and conversed about nothing in particular for 10 minutes before Trevor finally left. This entire exchange is very odd. Why spark up conversations with a colleague at work on a Friday night at almost four in the morning? And when you find they are busy, why get on the computer and mess around as if it's a dire meeting, only to chit-chat aimlessly for a few minutes? What did he do on the computer, and what did he and Carl discuss? Carl does not remember the details, but is certain it was not an emergency or dire conversation and that Trevor was also in a stable mindset and not drunk like people assume after the evening of drinks and parties. The entire 25 minute episode seemed as if Trevor had something bothering him, most likely stemming from the sudden appearance of the man in black outside waiting for him. There are also a few pieces of the puzzle that were either ignored or poorly investigated altogether with very little information being released by officials afterwards. First, the electricity being out at Trevor's apartment complex on the day he disappeared feels more than coincidental. He called in maintenance to fix the issue earlier in the day and it seems that they do by the time he arrives home from work. But why or how the flat's lost electricity is never explained and possibly never investigated in the first place. It would be fascinating to hear from other people living in the complex at that time to hear if they remember the power going out or if they saw any suspicious figures hanging around the building's electrical panel in the days prior. Not only that, but the apartment in general was never completely ruled out as being the last place Trevor visited. Garde officials believed he never went home that night, but we have no recorded information about the state of Trevor's flat, and if there were signs of a struggle, an intentional leave, or DNA forensics. Secondly, Garde claimed they searched Trevor's computer and email for any evidence and came up empty-handed. However, analyzing audio visual systems was not as thorough in the year 2000 as it is today, and another debrief of Trevor's internet history could prove useful if released to the public. Trevor was a technical mastermind anyway, so it is possible he hid any secrets out of reach to the local government's shoddy computer searches. Third, it's infuriating to think police let Trevor's last known bit of communication get deleted without second thoughts. Trevor was confirmed to have called his friend Glenn at 4.05 am, and according to Glenn, left a voicemail that said little besides that he'd call again soon to talk and catch up on recent events. Investigators thought this to be a routine message, and after Glenn agreed, there was nothing out of the ordinary to his ears. Garde allowed Glenn to delete the message, This is gross negligence by police in missing person cases. Any bit of communication left by the victim needs to be preserved. Even if it was a five second hello and goodbye, you never know what could be extracted from the background. Every piece of evidence deserves its due diligence and to be put under a microscope. So while it probably had no effect on the search for Trevor, its absence from public access and 100% clarity leaves a tiny hole in the case Finally we must address the two supposed colleagues of Trevor who appear in the newly released CCTV footage screenshots. Authorities were quick to identify the man on the right and the man on the back as co-workers but never shared any details beyond this fact other than that they were cleared of any wrongdoing. So who were they exactly? What are their names? What are they also doing at work at 3.40 in the morning? Did they accompany Trevor from the Christmas party back to work to make sure he arrived safely? If so, why do they stand so strangely in the frame, positioned in a bizarre manner? As if they are waiting and looking at Trevor with a bit of shadowy intimidation. And if they were waiting, why did they leave prematurely? Did they know the first man, did they confront him, or are they able to identify the mysterious figure It's mind-boggling to think that they were ruled out despite appearing in the most mysterious, question-peddling piece of evidence, which is missing critical segments in the first place. When do the second and third subjects leave? Where does the first man go? Do they converse? This footage is sadly unavailable and could have been destroyed from the time of origin. It's quite possible the two colleagues were interviewed and provided alibis and explanations but without documented proof, it's hard to accept such leniency. In the end, taking into consideration the full CCTV tapes and his role in the case, we believe the black clothed man wasn't alone and there was multiple people following Trevor since his return from Alaska. This suspicious man from the footage was assigned to wait outside of the bank and asked Trevor if they could talk before he went inside. Trevor probably denied this request as it was late and he had been drinking and then purposely stalled inside the office with Carl. Meanwhile, Trevor's fellow colleagues stopped by to check on his well-being. And when the man in black told them Trevor had gone inside for a while, the co workers decided to leave not long thereafter. Trevor then came back outside to an abandoned gate too, and went about his business, ignorant to the black clothed man following behind him discreetly. This man or his potential associates confronted Trevor again at his flat since his roommates were away on holiday. There were probably other people with the man back at the apartment as backup and were probably responsible for the electrical outage at the complex. When Trevor insisted his innocence, the man realized it was too late for such a plea and Trevor had to go before he revealed what he possibly knew. Trevor was then kidnapped, kept alive somewhere for a period of time before a homicide and eventually disposed of in a place where he wouldn't be recovered, probably out of the country or in the surrounding areas. Like all unsolved cases, Trevor D. is truly one left up in the air. This conclusion takes into account all of the investigations, strengths, and weaknesses, and attempts to build the most likely, if not fully conclusive answer. Since the restored CCTV footage was released in 2015 and the false alarm search at the Chappelsot Woods No new leads have been unearthed. However, Guardia officials did release a statement in December of 2018 that they would be going back to unidentified human remains still in storage to utilize breakthrough DNA technology and test the pieces for any trace of Trevor. If anything, it provides a newfound hope for the Dealey family who have over the years refused to consider conspiracies and simply ask that Trevor's fate be solved. Whether that means a body or not, they just want something concrete. Sister Michelle Dealey was quoted in the Irish Times saying, I don't believe people vanish, it makes no sense to me. It actually starts to hurt your brain when you think about it. She along with her parents, her siblings and Travis friends just want closure and the 18 years and continuing of nightmares to end. It's regular people like us who can tackle these terrors and help fight the growing number of missing person cases We wouldn't report this if we didn't think it could help remind the world, spread awareness, and potentially help bring a new clue or lead to the forefront of the search. It's important not to forget that before this case froze, he was a human being, a man with a future in technology, community, teamwork, and resourcefulness. He was infectiously friendly with a positive attitude that stuck with his peers with a force of good, His dedication to problem solving and compassion impacted countless lives, and we hope that the impact continues to exert influences again soon. Until then, the search continues as we push for clarity and fight for answers to the disappearance of Trevor Dealey and the mystery of the men in the shadows. This is Cold Case Detective.